Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Uh, so I want to start out with a story uh, this morning, and I'm going to kind of, kind of read it because I want to make sure I capture the details. Um, it's a really powerful story that kind of moved me this week. So in February of 1991, Commander Ralph Hales hesitantly took off 10 minutes after midnight along with his helicopter pilot, Larry LeBlanc. Along with the pitch black darkness of the Iraqi desert, a hailing sandstorm made it difficult to take off, much less achieve their mission objective. Still, given the green light, the Comanche helicopter made its way to their target's location. Repeating back the coordinates, Hale saw two fuzzy rectangular images on his screen. He reasoned these must be the vehicles he had been ordered to destroy. Despite the fierce tailwind and darkness, Hale centered his crosshairs on the vehicles. Ground command gave him the okay. Still unsure, he hesitated until his pilot screamed, light him up. Hales fired two Hellfire missiles that hit his target directly. Within just minutes, horrific news came across the radio. Friendlies, reporting maybe friendly vehicles have been hit. You know, unfortunately, these sad events happen in battle. They happen in war. And sadly, we've lost men and women because of the impact of friendly fire, not being able to recognize the real enemy, the true enemy. And this morning, I'm praying that as we finish our series, that we'll be able to identify our real enemy. Because far too many times we make it each other. And that's not the enemy. We're going to talk about who the enemy is today. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer line by line. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew again today. Matthew again today. Um, and we or Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. We're going to read that together again, and then we're going to go into some other places today. So just kind of be prepared to flip around a little bit. So let's, let's read this together. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so before we kind of look at this last line of Jesus's prayer, I want to kind of remind us of what Jesus has taught us so far about prayer. Remember, when Jesus is doing this, it's because he's being asked by the disciples on how to pray. They come to him and they say, teach us to pray. And Jesus is teaching them how to pray, okay? So while it's awesome that we recite it and we repeat it, Okay, that's not the intended purpose for why Jesus said these things. He said it so that we would learn how to have a prayer life, how to have prayer relationship with God the Father. Okay, so the first thing that he does is he shows us that our relationship with God is that we are his children. 
that are dearly loved by a heavenly father. And then next, Jesus says that even though he is our father, even though we pray to the God who is our dad, he at the same time is altogether different than us. And we can't ever conflate those ideas that he is still different than us. He may be in relationship with us. He may be a father that loves us, but he is not us and we are not him. He is altogether different. He is separate and he is holy, right? And then we walk through the idea that Jesus says it's his kingdom that we're supposed to be about. We're desiring for what God wants to happen on earth to happen. And that's our prayer. Our prayer is not for our own things to happen, what we want to happen, but what God wants to happen. God, would you let that happen here on earth as it is in heaven? And then we talked about how Jesus turned then to the physical needs that we have. Not just the physical needs, but also the spiritual needs. The physical needs, of course, of food and drink, shelter, those kind of things. God wants us to bring those to him. But he also wants us to bring to him the spiritual need that we have, which is actually him and doing what he asks us to do. That's going to be fulfilling for us. And then last week, we looked at this incredible debt that we owe God. That we were debtors to God, but that he, in his love, sent his son to take care of our debt. What we owed God, his son, came and took care of that debt. And then we in turn learned that we're supposed to forgive others in the same way that we've been forgiven. We cannot, we cannot ask for God's forgiveness with our hands open and then close our hands to forgiveness to others. That's not what it means to understand forgiveness, okay? So now we turn to this last phrase in Jesus's prayer, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I want to be completely honest. When I look at this first word, the, and lead, I've always had a hard time with the way that this has been translated. Because it almost sounds like we're asking God not to lead us into temptation. But the truth is, is that God doesn't ever lead us into temptation. He never would lead us into temptation. And we're going to get to that in a minute about how we are led into temptation. But this prayer always, it was kind of weird for me to say, well, God doesn't lead us into temptation, so why are we asking him to not do that? Like, he's not going to do that in the first place. So why would we even ask that? So I want us to kind of look at this, okay? Because James 1 is clear that when we are tempted, no one should say that God's tempting me. God, God does not tempt us, Okay? So we should make sure that we understand that, that God is not tempting us. That would be contrary to who he is as holy. He wouldn't ask us to be holy and then try to lead us into something that's unholy. That would be contrary to who he is. So then we have to wrestle with exactly what Jesus is saying. What is, what is Jesus saying when he says this word, lead? Well, really, it's a plea. It's a plea that we're supposed to ask God that we be not brought anywhere near the temptation that we know we get so tripped up in. God, would you make sure that I don't even get anywhere near this temptation? I, I got another confession to make to you. Um, in my 20s, I was uh, addicted to Dr. Pepper. I'm going to be honest, all right? It's a, I'm letting out here for you guys, all right? I, I was addicted to Dr. Pepper. I mean, it was really, really bad, okay? I probably drank a two liter a day. I, I know, that's what I'm telling you. I, I probably drank a two liter a day, okay? Um, it, like, you know, people have coffee in the mornings. I was taking down two Dr. Peppers, all right? That was kind of my routine. I was taking down two Dr. Peppers in the morning, and then I'd have a few more through the rest of the day. I, I did like 10, 2, and 4, but I carried it out to like the nth degree, you know what I mean? Um, 
And so like this prayer of lead us not into temptation, here's what it would have looked like for me back in my 20s. Now, I don't do that anymore, okay? So don't get worried. I realized I was getting a little bit heavy and that was part of the problem, okay? So I stopped drinking so much Dr. Pepper. But here's what the prayer would have been for me back in the day. Lord, don't let me go anywhere near the soda aisle because I know myself. I'm going to grab a couple of two liters. Don't let me go near that soda aisle, okay? So that's what the prayer kind of looks like in a practical way. Don't let me get anywhere close to the things that I know trip me up. And see, far too many of us, we don't pray that way because we don't recognize the things that actually cause us to sin. We don't recognize the things that trip us up. We don't recognize the people sometimes that we're associating ourselves with that always get us into trouble, right? We're around them and they start doing this and then because we're with them, we do it too. Or sometimes we don't acknowledge maybe the website that I'm going to that's going to lead me into places that I know dishonor God. See, lead us not into temptation means don't let me get anywhere near that temptation, the thing that so easily trips me up. Okay, so it gets even dicier with some of the language, right? So if lead was a little bit complicated, let's look at this next word. Because when we get to the word temptation, it's kind of it's dicey, all right? The Greek word for tempt is absolutely the same word as test. There's no difference in Greek. Tempt and test are the same exact word. But as with all scripture, it's always defined by the context. Context defines how we translate that word, okay? Now, a few years ago, um, I was teaching... Uh, Bible at a Christian school, and uh, I absolutely loved it. It was, it was one of my favorite things, but I kind of started noticing that some of my students were kind of just like phoning in Bible class, you know? It's like, okay, what's well, Bible class? I can just kind of phone it in, you know, kind of thing. And so I was like, you know what? I, I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to just be kind of, you know, halfway through this class, not really caring about this class. This is an important subject, you know? And so I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give them a test. And so we had been walking through the entire narrative of the Bible and stopping at key points, and we had gotten right to the Ten Commandments is right where we were at. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give them a test and see if they can get all of the Ten Commandments. So I told them, I said, get out a piece of paper, write one to ten on there. So they did what I asked them to do. And I said, I want you to put the Ten Commandments in order. Now, before you think I'm like a mean teacher, all right, we had walked through all ten of them. I had shown them the order and how there's very specific order that Moses gives and how even the fourth one of, of honoring your father and mother connects both sides of the first four and the last six. And so I kind of walked them through that, okay? But you should have heard the sighs. Oh, come on, really? A test? Ah. And then there were other ones that were like, oh, I got this. This is easy. I got it, right? And so they took their test. It came back in. I'm looking over them, Right? And I'm like, oh, this ain't good. They left these blank. Oh, they totally got those out of order. Oof. And it wasn't about you just getting all 10. It was about you getting them in order. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. So I said, all right, you guys, this is, this is pretty rough. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how well you guys did. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I give them the test? Because I wanted them to prove their character. I wanted them to prove their character. Yes, of course I wanted them to know God's word. 
Of course, I wanted them to understand biblical truth, but I also wanted them to see, are you, are you just phoning this class in? Or do you really care? Because everything we do reflects who we believe God is. And so I said, I don't want you just to phone this class in. And it's the same thing from God. God wants our commitment, and he wants our character to be proven. So when we see this word temptation or test, God tests us to prove our character. He proves our character. And he never gives us anything beyond what we, he knows that we can handle. We can be confident in this because Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Amen, I love that. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What a good and faithful God. He is the one who gives us a way out. Now, I looked over those quizzes. I told you it was really, really rough, really bad. So here's what I did. Before we even left class, I said, guys, I'm looking over these. Here's what I'm going to do. If you want to take it home and you want to work on it and put it in the right order, you can do that for 10 points off. If you don't, that's fine. I'm going to take these, which you've given me. I'm going to take it home and I'm going to grade it. Most of the class just said, just take it home and grade it. There were a few, there were a few that took it home, took the 10 points off. But see, I gave grace and mercy. That's exactly who God is. God gives us grace and mercy because that's the nature of God. He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't put us in a situation where we're going to mess up. He's not up there going, ha, 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 right? That's not what he's doing. He wants to test our character. He wants us to even see our own character, that it proves to ourselves even this truth. But God is a God of truth and grace. Now, while it might seem that test and tempt are kind of like two parts of the same coin, I do want us to see where temptation comes from. I want us to look and to see where temptation doesn't come from God. Where does it come from? Well, Jesus says, right? He says it comes from evil. Evil. It comes from evil. But Interestingly enough, this Greek word that's used for evil actually gives translators a really hard time because the way that it's worded, you know, a lot of times in the Greek, there's a, there's a masculine and a feminine, and that helps you translate the word. This particular word, you can't tell. You can't tell if it actually has a masculine so that it would be a personal person, right? Or if it's just generic, gender neutral, to where there's, there's no person involved with it. I think this is on, on purpose. I think Jesus does this on purpose because there's two places that our temptation comes from. There's two evils that we have to fight against. The first enemy is the enemy of me, is the enemy of me. See, we read James 1 earlier, but I want to go back to it because we didn't finish it. We saw how God doesn't tempt us, but where does temptation come from? Well, James tells us, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So my own desires, your own desires, are our first enemy. Our first enemy is me, is us, is we, right? That is our first enemy. And look what James says. He says, dragged away. It's like our flesh is working real hard to drag us away 
from God. Now, I think it's really important for me to stop and kind of stress this theology, right? Um, for us to understand this. Because you might be asking the question, wait a minute, when I trusted Jesus, then I received the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, you are correct. When you trusted what Jesus did on the cross, God's Holy Spirit comes and makes his residence in you. So you now have the Holy Spirit at work with you, which we sang about, right? That Holy Spirit in us that has called us out of the grave, that we're alive again, right? So we sang about that. But here's the thing. Paul tells us that that old man, he doesn't die. He's still working against God's Spirit in you. So your flesh, this old person, this old person, this old man, sorry, the old man, the old self, better way to put it, is working against God's Holy Spirit at work in your life. It's a battle that we are presented every single day. And I had a good friend that he used to put it this way. He gave a really good illustration of how this works. So if I were to have two men that were going to be in a fight, let's just say that it's a, it's a boxing match, okay? If I have two guys that are going to be in a boxing match, one of them I feed. I give him good food, get him ready for the fight. The other one is starved. Which one's most likely going to win the fight? The one that's been fed, right? Because he has nourishment, he's healthy. You know, the other one might just collapse because he's been starved. It's the same thing when it comes to our spirit and the flesh. We have to starve the flesh. Those things that are our desires pulling us away, we have to say no to those, and we have to feed the spirit. How do I feed the spirit? Study God's word, be in prayer, and be in community. These are the best ways that we can feed the spirit of God in us, is to be involved with others who are, have the spirit of God in them as well, that are challenging us as we look at God's word together, that we study it together, and that we're in prayer with him, right? So that's how we feed our spirit. That's how the spirit is going to win out over the flesh. Now, the flesh is not the only enemy. It's the first enemy, but it's not the only enemy. We have an enemy that God has been fighting since almost the very beginning. We have the enemy whose name literally means adversary, or it means accuser, Satan. Satan is our enemy. You know, in our Western culture, we kind of do one of two things when it comes to talking about devils and Satan, right? We either give it way too much attention and everything is the devil and everything's got a spirit that we got to cast out, right? Or we don't give it enough attention. We're like, we don't even talk about an enemy. Well, both of those are dangerous places to be because we do have a real enemy. We do have a real enemy that wants to attack us, and he has a very clear strategy. In fact, the word that Paul uses is the word scheme. He has a scheme to come against us. And real quickly, I want to kind of walk us through what that scheme, that strategy is, so that you can be prepared and recognize when the enemy is coming against you, okay? And I think there's no better place, no easier place to do that than in Matthew chapter 4 when we look at Jesus' own temptation, when Jesus is tempted by the enemy as well, okay? So let's look at this together. So the first thing that I want you to see from this, remember Jesus has just been baptized, right? Uh, he has been, the spirit of God has come down, the dove has come down, it has affirmed with a voice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then it says immediately that he is led out into the wilderness and he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So the first thing I want you to see is that where God affirms you, the enemy will attack you. The enemy attacked 
right after Jesus is affirmed as God's dearly loved son. Enemy does the same thing. Have you ever been have you ever been in an encounter like that? I know there was one time when I was younger, I had just come out of this incredible experience. I was in uh, middle school, and I had just come out of this incredible experience where um, I've been worshiping and I've been praying with all these other friends of mine, right? And I come out and I get into the car, and my little sister's in there, and she says something, and I just start kind of like going at her, you know what I mean? Not hurting her, but like we're bickering back and forth, right? And my dad's like, really? You just stepped out of there where you tell me that this is an incredible experience where you're getting to know God, but then you get in this car and the first thing you're doing is fighting. See, he attacks where we were affirmed. Okay, sometimes it's even our places of giftedness, right? You might be gifted with something that God has given to you and you start letting it get to you, and the pride sets in, and then you think it's about you. God gave it to you. He was affirming that in you. But now you're getting attacked by it. Okay, next thing I want you to see is that when you're isolated, the en- enemy will intimidate you. When you're isolated, the enemy will intimidate you. Remember, Jesus is alone in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. This is the way the enemy works. He loves to get us isolated to attack. Anybody um, ever gone like um, on safari, seen lions? You ever seen the way lions um, attack their enemy? So what they'll do is they usually will find the last one in the herd, like the one that's kind of trailing behind or the one that's away from the rest of the herd. That's what they go after and attack. It makes sense why Peter says, that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. The enemy wants you to be isolated. So when we say, and we say this again, I'll say it one more time, when we talk about groups, it's not because we like love to puff up groups. It's because we know that when you're in those groups, that you're going to have better accountability with other guys, you're going to be able to, or, or women, and you're going to be able to share what's going on in your life so that they can also see it. So you won't be isolated alone. Because when you're alone, that's when he's going to intimidate you. Okay, last thing I want you to see. Where God gives certainty, the enemy brings confusion. Where God brings certainty, the enemy brings confusion. Just please listen carefully to this statement, okay? Like listen carefully to that statement. Because Satan has been doing that since the very beginning. That is his tactic. His tactic is to get you to question the truth of God. He's been doing that since day one when he comes to Adam and Eve. What was the question? Did God really say that? Planting seeds of doubt with Jesus right here. Well, if you really were the son of God, that's what he does. He plants little seeds of doubt for you not to trust the truth of God. You begin to trust other things. And the minute you do that, the minute you start trusting something else besides what God has revealed about himself, his character, his nature, in his word, that's the minute you're going to go astray. The enemy has got you. So the closing of Jesus's model prayer for us here is, Lord, rescue us from ourselves from putting ourselves in the compromising situations that 
we're so prone to sin in. Rescue us from listening to the deceiver whose questions cause us to doubt your very goodness. That's what Jesus is saying here. And unfortunately, we all fall to our temptations. Every single one of us, right? We all sin. Every single one of us has fallen. We let our affections and our passions for something other than God take place. But God loves us so much. He loves us so much. He sent his son as a model for us of what life is supposed to look like, but also as our sacrifice to take our place when we miss the mark. And he took on that punishment, the consequences for our sin when we fall into temptation. Like we said earlier from James, what is it? It's death. And Jesus took that on himself. He took the consequences of our sin. He took the death that we were supposed to die. Thankfully, that's who we serve as our God. He is a God who loves us and died for us on the cross. Now, for some in here, you, you've never believed that truth, that Jesus died for your sin. This morning, don't leave without talking to someone about that. If you still have questions that need answered, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Ronald. Don't leave without knowing Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Others in here, you've completely mislabeled the enemy. You've made it another individual when that is not the truth. It's yourself and Satan. Those are our enemies. That's what we have to fight against. Let yourself be around, be around people and places that are going to cause your affections to stir towards God. Because the closer you get to him, the further you get away from temptation. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. This morning as I pray, wherever, whichever one of those you are, would you just take time to be with the Lord as I pray? Ask him to remove those temptations. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God that loves us. We thank you that you're a God that doesn't send us into temptation. You don't take us there. But instead, you allow us to be tested. And then when we are tempted, God, when you see it's beyond what we can bear, you provide a way out for us. But God, help us this morning to recognize the true enemy, the enemy of ourself, the enemy that's been fighting you since day one. Help us to recognize the way that he fights against us. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.